0: Well, it's a privilege to be with you tonight and to have this opportunity to open God's Word to you, and I do invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 21, and uh, we will be looking at verses uh, 1 through 14 tonight. As you turn there, let's take a moment and ask the Lord to uh, illumine our minds and our hearts and help with the preaching and hearing of God's Word tonight. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do ask that now as we come to your word that you would illumine that word to our hearts. Whatever the needs may be here tonight, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would minister your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would help this preacher to speak as I ought to speak. And I pray that you would give all of us, myself included, ears to hear what you have to say to us in these words this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some people have asked why John seemingly writes an additional chapter here, John chapter 21. Uh, John 20 provides certainly a great crescendo with uh, Thomas's my Lord and my God, and then of course we have the last couple of verses there, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not uh, written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And so it seems as if uh, John has already sort of reached the climax. He's kind of uh, come to that point with Thomas's confession, "My Lord and my God." Why chapter twenty-one? Well, uh, I'll let the scholars debate that. But I think John just had something else he wanted us to wanted us to hear. We wanted to tie up some loose ends. We have, uh, of course, the question: What happened to Peter? three denials of Christ. What about Peter? Later in this chapter we have his restoration. But, ha- but regardless of that, perhaps John in these verses wants to impress upon us as he did these first disciples that we are to carry the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. He wants to remind us as we open these uh, pages tonight that we are to be fishers of men. He sort of recreates, perhaps intentionally, obviously, we don't know entirely what was in the mind of the Lord as he was there on this shore beside the Sea of Galilee. But he recreates that uh, event in which they were first called to follow him, and that we read earlier in Luke chapter 5, that they would be fishers of men. And so let's read John chapter 21. Uh, this evening, verses 1 through 14, and think about what he has, Jesus has to say to us about being fishers of men, reaching this world for the cause of Christ. This is God's inerrant and infallible word to us. Let me begin at verse 1, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which would be the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way... Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others, notice that they were unnamed, of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, and this would be the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Pastor Rick Phillips, pastor of Second Prayers in Greenville, as he writes on this text, says there's just something powerful about going home. At home we remember not only where we came from, but who we are. At our spiritual home, we recall how we first met Jesus, experienced the power of God's grace, and took our first steps of faith. Home, he writes, may be the church in which we were nurtured in saving faith, the dinner table where our fathers and mothers prayed and opens God's word, the camp, the campground, we just were praying for our youth, the campground where we were Uh, where our youthful hearts were open to Jesus, or the college campus where a friendly witness led us to Christ. There's just something about going home. Jesus told his disciples before his crucifixion that he would meet them in Galilee. They were to meet him at home. Galilee, for many, most of the disciples, was home seven out of the eleven of the remaining disciples were from Galilee. Jesus had told them in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 7 verse 27. He says you will all fall away for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up I will go before you to Galilee. After his resurrection remember as the women went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning. And they came and found it empty. The angels who met them at that tomb gave them this message in Mark chapter 15. The angel said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. So it's no surprise or should be no surprise to us as we open John chapter 21 that his disciples are now in Galilee. They have now gone home. And Jesus appears to them by the Sea of Galilee. Why Galilee? Well, because it was in this region where Jesus had done Most of his ministry had proclaimed, in fact, he began to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to perform his mighty deeds. It was in Galilee where so much of his ministry had been done. The Sermon on the Mount, the miracle of the fish that we just read about in Luke chapter 5. It's the towns of Capernaum and Canaan and Nain where Jesus had performed the notable miracles of healing and deliverance and even raising someone from the dead. It was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus had delivered the man from the legion of of angels. It was in this same region that he had uh, fed the 5,000, delivered his discourse on the bread of life. It was by these very waters that Jesus had called Peter and James and John to leave off their fishing nets and become fishers of men. And so I think we hear in these verses that we've just read an echo of Luke chapter 5, an echo of Jesus calling his disciples and now he's brought them home. Home is where we remember who we are. Home is where we remember. The very beginning. It brings us back to our roots, and Jesus has called them home. Now, there's some who make a big deal about Peter saying here, and I almost find it a little bit humorous, humorous, I'm going fishing. Let's go fishing. Uh, and some have, uh, have speculated oh, you know, Peter's leaving off, following Christ. He's, he's lost his allegiance. He's going back to his old way of life. And the disciples or other disciples are following him. I don't know about that. They were waiting on Jesus. Jesus had said, I'll meet you in Galilee. You get hungry when you're waiting on somebody. Maybe they just went to go catch a mess of fish. Have something to eat. But in that moment... Jesus meets with them. Perhaps Jesus had waited for that moment. Perhaps he had even orchestrated that moment when his disciples had gone back to the Sea of Galilee. They had again fished all night, they had caught nothing. And Jesus comes to them as he had come to them several years prior. And he says to them, Cast your net on the right hand side. Cast your net on the other side. And had they not said, oh, we've been fishing all night and we caught nothing. J.C. Ryle uh, comments on this. He said, He, Jesus, knew well the influence which scenery and places exercise over the mind of man. He would recall to the memory of his disciples all that they had witnessed in the early days of his ministry where he had begun with them There he would have one of his last interviews with them before leaving the world. And this reenactment serves to remind the disciples, and I hope it will serve to remind us this evening as well, that Jesus calls us as his followers to be fishers of men. Now this, we call it a post-resurrection encounter served the purpose, I'm sure, of renewing and reminding these disciples of their calling that Jesus had said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus brought the disciples home to familiar surroundings where they had undergone a variety of experiences with him over his several years of earthly ministry. And as they waited in this well-known place, No doubt many, many of those memories flooded their minds and hearts. And now they hear someone calling from the shore, cast your net on the other side. He's renewing for them that calling of being fishers of men. And this encounter also serves to remind us as modern day followers of Christ that we're to be fishers of men. This incident teaches us several lessons, and that's what I want to do. I want to just walk through this text tonight, and I want us to think about several lessons that we learn about or actually lessons that we're reminded of about what it means to be fishers of men, what it means to be those who seek the salvation of the lost. Now, Jesus apparently brought his disciples home home, to remind them who they are and what they are called to do. And may we, as we go through this account, may we remember. May we also sort of be called home to remember who we are. You know, we live in a world today that's filled with a lot of discouragement. I mean, if you listen to the news, you watch the television, if you see this world, you think that, that society and culture has lost its collective mind. And you may feel hopeless and powerless you may be saying well what can I do what can we do in the face of such seeming overwhelming uh deterioration of our morality and ethics and culture in this in the in the world you can be a fisher of men you can be remember that as a follower of Christ you're called to be a fisher of men There are three things I want us to think about, three lessons I want us to be reminded of. We must remember, first of all, we must remember the servants of the mission. They're named here. There's a list. Who were they? What do we learn from them? We must also remember the scope of the mission. What about this large quantity of fish? Any significance to that? And then finally, we need to remember the secret of the mission. Of being a fisher of men. Jesus calls his followers to be fishers of men. We must remember then the servants of the mission. Now look at verse 2. We have Simon Peter. We have Thomas uh, called the twin. This is Thomas the doubter. Doubting Thomas. This is the Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee. The sons of Zebedee. That would be James and John. And two others that... That are just not named. Wow, huh. what would you do if you were in that group? Two others of his disciples were gathered together. But who has the list? Simon Peter. What's the last thing you remember about Simon Peter? Well, you may say, well, he was one that ran to the tomb and found it an empty, and then he sort of left, scratching his head, trying to figure out, well, what does this? What does this all mean? Yeah, that that happened, but. I think all of us, when we think about Simon Peter and the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, we think about what? I don't know this man. I don't know this man. I don't know who you're talking about. Three times he denied Christ, and yet Peter is the first on the list. And then we have Thomas. What do you remember about Thomas? Well, I've already said, we call him Doubting Thomas. Except I want to say he wasn't doubting Thomas, if you read the text. He was Thomas the determined unbeliever. He he said, uh, unless, this is John 20, 25, you can turn back and look at it. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Peter, the denier. Thomas, the determined unbeliever. (laughs) Two, they don't even name. James and John, they were sort of combative uh, personalities. And yet... We look at that list, and this is the list that Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not a very impressive list. James Montgomery Boyce observes, These are the ones who do Christian work. Normal people with all the failings we are heir to. Not fictitious characters of superhuman faith and fortitude. You know, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are, are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And yet, despite what we are in ourselves, sinful and failing, doubters and unbelievers at times, and deniers even like Peter, boy says normal folks, may I say normal sinners. This is who the Lord calls to be the servants of the mission, people like us. Let's now for a moment think about Peter as an example. How God can make a normal sinner a spiritual failure, how God can take such a person and transform them into a person of power in order to to use them in his kingdom. In the earlier fishing adventure that we read in Luke chapter 5 this evening, what was Peter's response <laughs> when the net, cast your net on the other side, oh, Lord, we've been fishing all night, but we'll do it because you say so, and they throw it, and there's so many fish they can't, you know, it's the net's breaking. What was Peter's response to just a huge amount of fish? Uh, R.C. Sproul, I, re- I think I remember him saying this one time about Peter at this point, You know, Peter didn't say, Jesus, hey, I'll make you a partner. Come join me and tell me where to throw the net and we will make a bundle. That's not what he said, was it? He said, depart from me. We read it earlier. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And yet, what do we see happening in this account? When John the disciple who is loved by Jesus, says to Peter, when when they don't know who it is on the shore, he said, you know, cast your net on the other side, they're catching the fish. And John turns to Peter and said, it's the Lord. What's the response? Peter doesn't run away. Instead, Peter... prepares himself, he puts his clothes back on, so it sounds strange to dive in the water, put your clothes back on, but he was stripped for fishing. And so he he changes that, he dives in the water, he goes to Jesus instead of asking Jesus to depart from him. He goes to Jesus. Why this change? What changed? Previously, the large catch of fish had moved Peter to declare his sinfulness... He certainly had done nothing to change that assessment, Eddie. In fact, his worst failure, I don't know this man. He had bragged, remember, Lord, all the rest of these guys, they may let you down, but not Peter, even if I have to die. And then the little servant girl. You were with him. I don't know this man. Peter had done nothing to change this assessment of his sinfulness. But what? Changed Again, if I may, let me quote from Pastor Rick Phillips. He said, the answer is that Peter has learned the grace of God for sinners in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In particular, the resurrected Jesus had appeared to Peter and the other disciples, not greeting them with terrifying words of judgment or stinging words of rebuke, but blessing them with mercy and love. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? Peace. Peace be with you. Jesus had said, and then directed their attention to the wounds in his hands and his side. And this is the way I like to say that. The living Lord proclaimed the crucified Christ. The living Lord proclaimed the crucified Christ. Behold my hands and my side. And I'm alive. And I did this for you. And your sins are forgiven. And so if we're going to be an effective fishers of men, we must remember that the followers of Christ are normal sinners with many failures, but who by the grace of God have been forgiven, who are sustained by the grace of God, and who are empowered by the grace of God To be his witnesses. We need to remember the lesson. Who are the servants of the mission? And then there's the lesson. The scope of the mission. We need to remember the scope of the mission. Look in two places in the text. Look in verse 6 and verse 11. He said to them, verse 6, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Verse 11. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus reminds his disciples of the scope of the mission. Some have speculated that, that Jesus brought his disciples back to Galilee for another purpose other than bringing them home to renew their, their calling that he brought them back to Galilee away from Jerusalem because Jerusalem was so ingrown. It was all about the Jew. And Jesus wanted to move them in a direction so that they would have a larger understanding of of the mission. Perhaps that's the case. But then maybe the scope of the mission is also indicated by the number of the fish That caught. There were 153. Well, what does that mean, if anything? Well, you can guess that throughout church history, biblical scholars have uh, speculated and given many symbolic meanings to this 153 fish. Perhaps the most famous to do this was Jerome, the early church father. He's known for translating the Hebrew and Greek. Uh, scriptures into the Latin, the Latin Vulgate. And Jerome saw in this 153 fish, because somewhere in some sort of nebulous, unknown authority uh, that Jerome cited, I don't know that we know who that authority was, but Jerome said, uh, according to this authority, there are 153 different species of fish in the sea. Making the catch, Jerome said, Representative of the church's mission to all nations. I, I don't know if there's a, a 153 species of fish. I think there are many more. There's probably 100 and more, 153 different ethnicities in the world as well. I don't know that either. Well, however we think about this large catch of fish, and by the way, the number could be there because fishermen do what fishermen do. It's that big? And we caught 50. I had a guy tell me that. I had a guy tell me that the other day. He, he was going fishing this weekend. And he was telling me, oh, when I was young and the kids, we'd go out to the lake. We'd catch 50 a day. That was the limit, 50 a day. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> well, maybe it was 153 because they like to count fish what you do. But regardless of the significance of the fish, I want you to remember the context. What was Luke chapter 5? What's what's John chapter 21? What is Jesus teaching his followers? He's using that incident, the large catch of fish. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And so I think we can make application without finding some mysterious significance in the number of fish that the mission will result in a large number of people coming to know Christ. Christ. That's the connection that he's making. You are fishermen and you've caught a large quantity of fish. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The scope of the mission is large. It is is beyond Jew. It includes, as the early church had trouble understanding, Gentiles. And even Peter, remember, in, in, in Acts chapter 10... It took a vision of heaven. And, and I find it, you know, Peter, I love Peter. You know, this Lord's giving him this vision of unclean animals, you know, kill and eat Peter. And what's Peter said? Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. It's like, I'm going to argue with the Lord. And then he, he came to understand when the knock came on the door, go to Cornelius' house. Proclaim to him the gospel And Cornelius and and those that were gathered with him came to faith and Peter began to understand what I think Jesus was giving here in this this lesson. That the scope of the mission is large. That it's Jew and Gentile. Certainly we who stand on this side of a completed canon of scripture, who have, have in our Bibles the Great Commission Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And truly, we can see the scope of mission. We were talking about this earlier before the service began. We have the world coming to us here in this part of the country. And we can grumble and complain. I grumble. I don't want 150 houses behind me. I used to have a beautiful cow pasture and a lake to look on. Now I wake up to loud music and hammers every day. But those houses are going to have people and those people are going to need Jesus. The scope of the mission is large. The servants of the mission. The scope of the mission. Finally, the secret of the mission. I want you to think again about the, the incident here as I said earlier it kind of makes me smile um, <clears throat> Jesus said hey guys let's go fishing Simon Peter said and he said well we'll go with you and they go fishing what's the one thing they think they know about fishing what's the one thing they failed fishing all night no fish we kind of lost our touch from following Jesus too long we lost our touch here And yet there's this stranger on the shore calling to them saying, Throw your net on the other side, on the right side. And when they do, it's full of fish. You see, they probably, like so many of us, myself included, I got this. I can do it. And what Jesus is saying, you know, you fishermen even need my help to catch fish you certainly are going to need my help to catch men and women, boys and girls for the kingdom. And so I think he's given yet another lesson here that they are to be dependent upon him, to be looking to him for the provision and power that they need, that apart from him, that indeed they can do nothing. And you know, in our mission to win people to Christ, we can come up with all sorts of techniques and methods and programs But without the power of Christ, they fall on deaf ears. The secret of the mission is the power and provision of Christ in what we do. Remember, he can take people like us, like Peter and Doubting Thomas and all the rest, and make them fishers of men because it depends upon him. And how do we draw from that power and that provision to carry out this mission. Well, just briefly look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, not only did he say cast the net on the other side. He said to them what? Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Now this isn't, a, this isn't an invitation, you know. Come have a little breakfast guys, you've been working hard. This is an invitation to come commune with Jesus, to be in fellowship with Jesus. You know, Jesus had promised his disciples earlier in John's gospel, when he was going away, that he would not leave them in orphans, but he would send them another comforter, the Holy Spirit. He had promised them that not only would he come and be with them, but also that the Father would make himself known them. To them as well. That there would be this intimacy that would not occur unless He did go away and send the Spirit. Come have breakfast. Come commune with me. Come have fellowship. The power comes through our personal relationship with Christ. When we spend time with Him in prayer, when we fellowship with Him and lean upon Him for what we need then we are empowered to be his fishermen. That is the secret of the mission. The servants of the mission, normal sinners like us saved by grace. The scope of the mission, the world is large of all nations. The secret of the mission, Jesus is the secret, not the technique, not the program, not the method but Jesus. You know, I had a friend who went on a mission trip down uh, to Cuba, and uh, they were doing actually door-to-door evangelism, and they had, this was several years ago, and he, it had been a long day. They'd been out knock, actually knocking on doors, and he had a translator with him, and nobody had responded, no, nobody. And, they, and the guy, the translator said, I got one more house. Let's go to one more house. And so they go to that house, and he says, I'm give out. I'm look at the people that I've got here in this, you know, gathered in this little room, and I think, there's no way. And, and so he, he's half-hearted, you know, because he's give out. It's the end of the day. He's exhausted. There's been nothing to show for his effort. And he begins to share the gospel and the translator, and he gives a, Presentation, simple. And they respond in faith. And it was a lesson to him of the power of God. Not our ability, but God's ability through us. We are to be fishers of men. Now I want to give you one application as we close. Any of us can do this. Okay, you can make it as complicated or as simple as you want to do it. Okay, you ready for this? Invite people to church. (laughs) In John's gospel, I love it, it's in John chapter 1. You remember, you have Andrew, he brings who? He brings Peter. And then Philip, he goes off and finds Nathanael. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What's he say? Come and see. And. You've heard this statistic before. Most people, large percentage of people, come to church for the first time. Why? Because they're invited by a friend. Not the pastor, although I hope he's friendly, but they're invited by a friend. Now, you can, you can be as intentional about this as you want to be as a, as a church. You can do it in a prayer group. You can say, okay, let's all of us identify one person that's not in church, that ought to be in church. Now let me give you a, let me do a preacher thing here. Please don't put on the list all the people who used to come to your church, but don't come to church there any, here anymore. Okay? Because that's our tendency. Because we hate to see somebody leave, and we want them to come back, and now they've gone over there to that Baptist church. But I, they're in church. I'm talking about, think about, and pray about one family, one family, uh, person that's unchurched identify that person and then invite them to church we have a third sunday meal i always try to invite people on a third sunday because if they get a bad message at least they get a good meal (laughs) and and we have people in our church now we have a lady that that's coming now she's coming because somebody else in our church Goes to the Y every day to swim. And she's in her swim class. And she says, wait, you're just down the road from where I, I go to church. Why don't you come to church? Fishers of men. Like I said, you can make this as elaborate and, and, and as intentional as you want to. Or you can just do it yourself. But what if every person here tonight in every church is represented Say, you know what? I'm going to start identifying and praying for one person. Zach's got to go have surgery. Somebody's going to be in that waiting room, Zach. You're going to have physical therapy. You're going to be, I don't know if you're going to, you probably have to go to a therapist. There's going to be somebody. Who will it be? Somebody that you can invite. We We have it. Doctor's office, doctor's appointments, work, school Groups, committee groups, etc., etc. Identify that one person and invite them. Invite them to the context within the church where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go fishing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have called people like us to be servants in your kingdom, those saved by grace. Enlarge our hearts and our vision of the scope of your mission. It is the world. And empower us to do it as we commune and draw upon your power and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tremendous hymn to close on. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. Hymn. 305. Let's stand and sing.